Philippians chapter 4. So looking at this mini-guide to Christian conduct, you can look through other places in the Bible and even in the New Testament to discover even th other things that Paul has to say about how to live the Christian life or ways that you should behave as a Christian. We're going to look at maybe a small snapshot of that tonight as we look at Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at two different categories of things. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to look at ecclesiastical behavior, or I should say behaviors within the church. So among us church folk, how should we behave among each other? And then verses 4 through 9 are more personal behaviors. They, they may manifest themselves in a larger setting, uh, but I think they're things that are derived from more of our, our personal walk with the Lord. So looking first of all in Philippians, again, chapter 4, verse number 1, let's review some of these uh, things that Paul has to say about our Christian conduct. Verse number 1 again, he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. First thing, and this is probably nothing new to those who have been a part of these studies, is to, to stand together. That's the first behavior that he's looking at here. And in fact, by this point now, chapter 4, I'm going to be repeating myself a lot because a lot of these things have already been said by Paul in this letter. So but in having nine verses to go through tonight, maybe you'll be thankful that I take a little bit less time to try to go through certain things because uh, as Pastor Walker tried to uh, do the feat of getting through an entire chapter, which is 40, uh, trying to do 45 verses, which he, he made it. Uh, and so for me to do nine verses, uh, well, we'll see how that goes. But uh, I know myself well enough to know that sometimes that can be a challenge. Uh, we're going to look at uh, nine, or really eight different things here as we look at these nine verses. And the first three are part of this category of ecclesiastical behaviors. I've titled it here. And the first thing here is standing together. Where has he said this before? If you go back to chapter number one, and verse number 27, we see that he's already given this advice. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is reiterated again right here. Is Maybe anyone who teaches a Bible lesson or good lessons in teaching in general, as I was taught, is to uh, say what you're going to say, then say then say it, and then repeat again what you said. And repetition is the key to learning, right? So Paul at this point in his letter is repeating things that he's already said. So in chapter number four, his advice to the church, which he's already said, he's already mentioned up to this point, is to stand together. And part of what we saw in that first chapter there, he had different things in mind. Uh, having the same mind, and we'll get into that as we get into our next verse there, but that was one aspect of it, and he mentioned the different adversaries that they had together. You're going to have people coming against you, and as a church, we're going to have people coming against us as we try to make a stand for the Lord. You know, if we're divided in the, the way that we're trying to, to operate as a church, it's going to be very hard for us to stand, and, and Satan knows that uh, where you can insert division, you can uh, you can wreak havoc on the church, and uh, there's not a lot of good that can come out of that outside of uh, what God's sovereign hand may have uh, in knowing that that's going to happen. But, of course, we want the best for our church, that we would stand together and 
different aspects of that include uh, uh, centering ourselves around the doctrines of the Word of God, uh, having the same mind about some of those things, uh, and then taking that stand when others who don't have the same views as us uh, try to take us down. So we want to make sure that we are standing together. So we see here, as part of that, I mean, that really is the command right there that he's giving, is to stand fast in the Lord. And I just want to highlight some other things, which, again, have already been mentioned up to this point. His demonstration of his love toward this church. And and just as I've mentioned before, and Paul having this kind of heart, he would be heartbroken if he were to discover that one day he would find that the Philippian church has gone astray in some way or uh, someone has come in with false doctrine and uh, divided the church or something has happened that's caused the church to split or to dissolve. Uh, and Paul didn't want that to happen. He loved this church. He loved these believers. And so from that love comes this command here. And so we see it again. And if you didn't see it the first time in the verse there, he actually repeats it a second time in the same verse. My brethren dearly beloved and at the very end of that verse again reiterating the fact that these are dearly beloved uh, believers to him we saw that back in chapter one verse number seven and he's already mentioning how much he's thankful for them how much he prays for them and in verse seven even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because i have you in my heart and it's one thing to have people on your mind and we may we might be telling people, whether through a letter or whether through Facebook or whether in a phone call, we'll, we'll tell them, hey, I'm thinking of you. And that's that's a good sentiment. But uh, I think uh, just like it's it's good to have head knowledge, it's also good to have that head knowledge travel that extra 18 inches to your heart so that it becomes a part of who you are. So then to, to go the distance from saying, I have you in my mind to having you in my heart, that same kind of idea where... They were, they were that dear to him to where uh, he, he lived and breathed uh, wanting to know the status and the condition of the Philippian church and wanting to make sure that they were okay. And so he's this command here in verse 1 of chapter 4 is just coming from that kind of heart. And again, a reiteration here, which goes back to chapter 1, verse 8, talking about his longing after them. He's mentioned that here. Uh, For God is my record. Hey, God is witness to the fact that how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And I I think I remember explaining there when we went over those verses that just as Jesus Christ had that love and desire for his church, it's kind of as if he's adopted that same kind of mentality that as much as Christ loved the church, he is going to try to love and long after the church as much as Christ. And I believe that's a lot of the sentiment behind what he's written there back in chapter 1, verse number 8. So he uses this other phrase here. Uh, this is not a phrase that we've really heard, but it expresses some of the same things. He says, my joy and my crown. And we've already seen some things which relate to Paul's joy and how it relates to his desires for the church here. In uh, other churches, he's mentioned the same kind of thing. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, uh, he mentioned something to that effect where he talks about having them in his heart as well. And using similar phrasing as it applies to being joy and crown. So there he says to the Corinthians, as also ye have acknowledged us in part, 
that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and another verse here, I think it's the one I was really thinking of, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Maybe I'm in 1 Thessalonians. Sorry about that. Yes, yes. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? And that that crown, uh, the word that's used there is, it, it speaks of something that someone who has run in maybe an Olympic race, who has won the prize, might receive. And they have that, that wreath that is placed over them. And they'll have that, 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 that placed over their head. And maybe you've seen pictures of that kind of thing from, from times of uh, you know, the Greek Olympics. And they would have those kinds of crowns. And what a, yeah. <laughs> well, what, a, what a privilege that is for him to speak of them in this kind of a way. Again, just speaking about things that I've already mentioned, that Paul has already mentioned here. Paul speaking of his joy. Some other places here, just a few verses I'll point out. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4, back in Philippians, talking about making request with joy, so that when he prayed for them, he was doing it from a joyful heart. Uh, chapter 2, verse 16, hold it, this is after giving them some encouragement, doing all things without murmurings and disputings, and going to verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that's what he wanted them to do, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He wanted his work to have been worth something, and he wanted them to be faithful in that, so that when he appears before God, he can hang his head high and rejoice. Some other verses here, and this ties into the next part of what we're going to look at. Chapter 2, verse number 2, where he says, Fulfill ye my joy. What is his joy? That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You want to make Paul happy, or I guess Paul would say to them, you want to make me happy? I want you all to have the same mind. And in chapter 2, he discusses that same mind. And some other verses, thinking about their, the command to stand together. Philippi, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 6, where it's talking about the, the armor of God, and you have the, the sword of the spirits. And uh, uh, mentioning some verses from there, I'll just point out a couple. Yeah, chapter 6, uh, verse number 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and so on. And so it mentions there his desire for them to stand. And that it's a, it's a personal responsibility, but as a church too, we need to make sure that uh, we have the, the armor of God and his protection around us. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, back now. Uh, so we've seen his command for them to stand together. Let's look at verse number 2, where he says, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And that ties with what his joy was. This was what would bring Paul joy, to see that they were walking and standing together, having that same mind. And this is kind of a snapshot of... Uh, people who were not examples of that. And maybe you remember the, the names that I gave for them before, uh, talking from an illustration that I had heard where you have uh, someone who, who misspoke the names, calling them odious and soon touchy. 
because that's how some people can behave in the church sometimes. You know, that, that uh, their, their misbehavior stinks sometimes. That's why they call them odious or uh, uh, soon touchy. You know, you know, you have those people that, uh, uh, you know, it, it, you, know you, you, you touch them and it just sets them off. And then they go off on a tirade about something. You know, maybe they just had a bad day. And I've had people <laughs> that, uh, at Subway where they, they talk to me about their experiences with Subway employees who are just having a bad day. And, you know, I, I can relate to that. But uh, at any rate, one thing I do want to point out here, he mentions each of them separately. He, he uses the, the same wording for each name individually. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche. So he's thinking of them as individuals. So he has something in very, uh, very personal in mind, perhaps. It's not exactly given to us what this disagreement was, what this... Uh, uh, maybe some kind of an argument. Maybe they just wanted different colors of carpet in the church. I don't know. But at any rate, you have this division between Iodius and Syntyche. So if you're the pastor, and that actually already applies to at least one person in this room, too, and they came into your office, <laughs> and you were going to try to counsel them, based on what Paul has said here in verse number two, uh, where do you think you would take them? To, to get them, to encourage them to, to think the same thing. We, we've talked about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you interact with me here. So I've, I've kind of already mentioned it in Philippians. So even if you're just going to use the book of Philippians, where, where would you, you know, Yodius and Syntyche, somehow you get them to come together and sit down in your office. Where, where would you take them in Philippians? Philippians 4. Oh, yeah, let's just call out their names right out there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that is what the word beseech means. It's talking about, please, please just have the same mind. You know, It doesn't pastor's heart well when uh, people get along with each other. You know? But where, where do we see the example of uh, what the, kind, the right kind of mind to have, if they're going to have the same mind? Okay, yeah. And yeah, there you go. And that's uh, verse number five in that chapter there. So an entire discourse there, and there are a lot of, of that chapter is talking about people who are working together for the Lord. It, and there's one thing that you can guarantee about Euodius and Syntyche, is that at least one of them does not have the mind of Christ. Now, it might be that both of them are out of the will of God in some way, but if they're having this kind of disagreement, if they don't have the same mind, that means at least one of them does not have the mind of Christ, as they should, um, as was mentioned to us. So, you know, do, you, do your pastor a favor and uh, uh, that heed, heed that advice. And that's advice that's already been given in the course of this study. And so you, you can study that chapter and you can look at the kind of mind that you need to have, the kind of humility, the, the humble obedience that Christ had. Uh, so then Euodius and Syntyche can leave... Uh, healed and leave uh, with the, the right kind of mindset as they go forward. Yeah. yeah they, you, can, you can bring them uh, back to God, back to uh, uh, a good friendship with each other. So looking at uh, thinking the same. So standing together, thinking the same. What's his advice? Back in chapter 4, verse number 3. He says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, 
Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Uh, for each of these first three, one thing that you may have noticed in the course of these is that each of these three verses begins with some kind of a, a, a plea uh, or some kind of a... Uh, he, he's calling out to them in some way. And in verse 1, it was uh, saying this in light of the fact that they're dearly beloved. And then verse 2 uh, is, is uh, wanting to reach out to them. I beseech you, I beg you, that you be of the same mind in the Lord. And so now verse 3, he is entreating them. So notice how he entreats them. He says, true yoke fellow. Uh, now, I'm not a rancher by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that, uh, especially eastern Colorado, I guess in the mountains too, to some degree, depending on where you are, up in the high country, you know, there, there are people who have different herds of different animals. And you've heard the illustrations before talking about being yoked together. And you know the animals that uh, you put the yoke over both of their heads, and you, you try to find a couple that are more or less of equal strength, and then then they can work together, and they can push a plow, or they can pull a wagon, or you know, they can do whatever it is that their work is to do. And so we are together as God's helpers. We are His yoke fellow. We are to say fellow. You know, we use that term fellowship. We we are t this togetherness, and so yoke fellow. We are yoked together. We are his body trying to work together to accomplish his will. So he's entreating them on, uh, on and note of that. So the command here is to help those women which labored with me in the gospel. If you remember back to Acts chapter 16, remember how the church of Philippi started. It was actually uh, a women's prayer meeting that was taking place that Paul sought out. And from that interaction was born the church of Philippi. And uh, no doubt a lot of those same women probably helped Paul in getting that church started. And so he calls them here, uh, those who have labored with me in the gospel. You know, they have also been uh, fellow helpers or yoke fellow, to use his wording here, helping him to accomplish his purpose of trying to spread the gospel. As we get further into chapter 4, we'll talk about... Uh, when he uses that phrase, the beginning of the gospel, and I believe that's what it is. It's a reference to the, the beginning of the church in Philippi. But these these ladies had helped him, and you know, who, who knows all what they might have done. I know it, it, it seems to me a lot of times that uh, the, the women of the church seem to help a lot behind the scenes doing things, and we should be thankful for that kind of thing. And as we gave testimony tonight of, of people who have given themselves to the work of the Lord. And and I'm thankful for those people who have given themselves to help with the ministry, uh, whether, whether it's male or female, but uh, we each have our part here. But Paul here is mentioning specifically the women who have labored with him. And then he mentions one in particular, Clement. And then he says also, with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. So... Uh, these are these uh, women. This is the the group he wants them to help. Now they have set the example, and so now he's saying, follow their example, and then do the same thing, and now help them in the work that they're trying to do. So they helped us. Now help them. You know, when I see that phrase at the end there, 
whose names are in the book of life. It reminds me of another verse that's in Galatians chapter 6. In fact, so that I don't misquote it, I'm going to turn to it. Uh, Galatians 6, verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. So that is part of our responsibility as Christians, but he says, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's do good to them. Let's help them. Uh, Let's... (laughs) Work together in getting the gospel out and do what it takes so that each of us can be strengthened in the work. So we have these three different behaviors that as a church, uh, Paul is encouraging us to do. What kind of conduct does Paul want us to have within the church with each other? He's mentioned standing together. Let's stand together on the truths of the word of God. Let's think the same thing. Let's have the mind of Christ. And then let's help those who have already helped in uh, the the giving out of the gospel. So looking now from ecclesiastical behaviors, let's look at the personal behaviors now. And the first verse that we'll look at today for that, uh, verse number four. In fact, everyone say this with me together. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, Paul likes to repeat himself a lot, I've noticed. We saw it in verse number one where he mentioned, my dearly beloved, Uh, And then verse number four, uh, rejoice. And he has to repeat himself. Again, repetition is the key to learning. This is something that he wants us to know. So the very first thing that Paul would have for us as a personal behavior, and and even as the song that I sang, rejoice in the Lord. And so he mentions there always, all the time, every situation, uh, whether good, whether it's bad, whether it's sunny outside, whether it's snowing outside, um, whether uh, yeah, you just got in a car wreck. I know it, I've had that situation before, even somewhat recently. You, know, you, you still got to find a way to um, if, for the Lord to help you and to use you in those situations. But uh, uh, rejoice in the Lord, and so He says, uh, rejoice all in all situations here. So, just some verses that I want to throw out here. And one thing that I remember mentioning at the very beginning of our study together is uh, some people's view that this is a book of joy. And there's a lot of different instances of joy that you could find in the book of Philippians here. And that, of course, is but one perspective on the book of Philippians. Uh, But let's look at at some here and perhaps some in some other places. Uh, Looking in Philippians here, chapter 1, verse 18... Now, speaking of situations, good or bad, what then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Uh, Maybe uh, there's someone who's maybe not preaching the gospel uh, with the same motives that you yourself would want to preach the gospel with. Well, Paul's perspective was, hey, the gospel is still going out, so let's just rejoice over that fact. Uh, Philippians 2, 28 This is coming from uh, talking about uh, Epaphroditus and the service that he did and the fact that he became sick unto the point of death and gave himself and was an example to his own uh, fellowship back in Philippi. Uh, So Paul talking about sending him back now, saying that I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. So being able to, to welcome home those who have uh, served and gone on before us in the service of the Lord. 
uh, some other verses outside of Philippians now. First Thessalonians chapter 5, and maybe this is a verse that you might think of in relation to this verse. Uh, again, a very short verse in the Bible, you know, along the lines of Jesus wept, which we talked about this morning. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, where it says, Rejoice evermore. So again, Paul using the same advice and speaking to the Thessalonians. Romans chapter 12, verse number 15. <coughs> Romans 12.15, another place where he's giving various advice to the believers. Where he says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. You know, is there someone else that's rejoicing about something? Let's rejoice with them. That's uh, the first part of that encouragement there. James chapter 1, verse number 2, where Paul says, or James says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And, and that might be the flip side of that. Maybe you're not rejoicing. And Paul, or I'm using Paul again, I like to talk about Paul, I guess. But James here, talking about those difficulties, those trials that may come upon us, uh, maybe along the lines of what I sang about, he says, count it all joy in those situations as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, uh, after speaking what we know as the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus talking about the persecution that you might face as a Christian, where he encourages you to rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. You may go through suffering now, but on the other side of that, God has a reward for that. And 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 8, this, this Savior who we haven't seen uh, yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So uh, other places, uh, verses we can look at there, uh, to an First, I want to read verse six, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. You greatly rejoice, but you know there's still that heaviness that might be in your life. And talking about the trial of your faith there, so situations, good or bad, uh, it doesn't matter. Paul's encouragement for us is that we need to rejoice in the Lord. And that's one of those pieces of advice that's maybe easier said than done in a lot of situations. But uh, nonetheless, may the Lord help us to rejoice in every situation. So the second thing, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, I've titled this being keeping a kind demeanor. And let's read the verse here, verse number five. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And this is a very interesting verse. That word moderation there, uh, other places in the Bible where that same word is used, it has the idea of gentleness or a patience. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, or Titus 3, verse 2, when he's talking about the qualifications for pastors and deacons, he mentions that as a qualification. And each of the different words are used there. In the one case, you have the word gentle being used. In the other case you have the word patience being used. So there's a lot of that wrapped up in this word, which is translated in Philippians as moderation. And it could also have the idea of being forbearing or being considerate or yielding. or a, this, this is kind of a dangerous word to throw out, but tolerance. Uh, maybe not in the sense that some would want us to be tolerant, but uh, more in the sense of uh, being able to interact with people in a way that's not abrasive 
that may be one of the better ways to put that. So that might come across in uh, maybe you're knocking on someone's door and someone just kind of jumps that out at you and yells at you, you know, get off my doorstep. You know, the, the good Christian thing to do, I believe, is not to yell back at them and to try to, to shove the gospel down their throat. Uh, you, you want to act in a way that is, is going to show the love of Christ and, and maybe not give them what they're looking for, which may be an argument. So we want to act in a way that is going to be kind and gentle in those situations. Uh, and J. Vernon McGee, in speaking of somebody else, talked about this being a sweet reasonableness. And we want to be reasonable with people. We want to have that, that sweetness about us. We don't want to compromise on the truth, but on the, at the same time, we need to make sure that we're not doing it in such a way that it's driving people away from the gospel. So he says, let your moderation be known. And the phrase be known there has the idea of being understood. You want people to understand that you are this way to all men. And it's not that we have the specific goal of going out to the world and letting our moderation be known. Uh, but more in the sense of whatever interaction you might have with people and, and all the people that you come into contact with, let this be known about you, to have this gentleness or this kindness. And so then he finishes that verse saying, the Lord is at hand. And again, a couple different ways that you could consider that part of the verse. Uh, many will talk about how the Lord is coming soon, and that is true. We need to make sure that we live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, and we want to make sure that he finds us faithful when he returns, that he finds us doing his work in a way that's going to please him. Uh, but the phrase there also uh, can have the idea of just the fact that he's nearby. Uh, the, the Lord is at hand. He is near, uh, kind of along the lines of he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's right there beside us. He's observing the way that we're behaving in these situations. And so knowing the fact that God is right there with us, we want to make sure that we're behaving in a way that pleases the Lord. So let your moderation be known unto all men. And for, for the second point there, I say keep a kind demeanor. So looking at the third point tonight, at verse number six, uh, speaking of uh, letting God be your peace. So verse number six and verse seven together here. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing. It's probably another one of those verses where it's easier said than done sometimes because you know we as frail human beings we like to worry about things sometimes uh, just like uh, I had my certification test a couple week, weeks ago and I was uh, I, I was nervous to the point of sweating in my you know and just thinking about oh I, I need to make sure I pass this test and don't throw away my money that I paid to take these uh, or you know it could be other situations uh, maybe a personal situation where you're just you're just really wanting the Lord to work in a certain way and uh, you're praying to that end uh, maybe or uh, maybe you haven't prayed about it yet and you need to follow the advice of this verse so if you want a really rough paraphrase of verse number six here don't worry about anything but pray about everything and there's the contrast there of the absolutes and in fact uh, one thing that I'll point out about these last verses here that we're looking at is that you see 
uh, a lot of demonstratives and a lot of absolute words that are used, some absolute uh, pronouns. So you have nothing versus everything. So be be careful. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Right for nothing. So nothing. What what is nothing? That that's nothing. Well, I, that's my hand actually trying to form a zero. But nothing nothing is nothing. So God says, be careful for nothing. Uh, that's that's what that is. There shouldn't be anything that you worry about. Again, easier said than done. But the, the, the flip side of that, but in everything, so whatever is the opposite of nothing, then take those things and then pray about those things. So that probably just lengthened our prayer list quite a bit, maybe. that's a, We're going to add everything to our prayer list. Uh, but let's, let's examine this verse here. It says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, now he's getting to the command, let your request be made known unto God. So that's that's what he's getting to in the verse there. Let your request be made known unto God. And then the manner in which it is to be done is what precedes that. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That That is how God wants us to bring our requests before God. So uh, prayer is kind of a, a general word uh, talking about our speaking to God. Supplication deals with... Uh, asking God to provide for us in some kind of way. And then, of course, thanksgiving is giving thanks to God for uh, different things that uh, he's done for us or will do for us. And some that I've heard speak about this verse will, will tie thanksgiving to the fact that you're, you're actually thanking God for the, for the answer to the prayer that you're actually giving. And, you know, does, does God always answer prayer? Yes. It may not always be the answer we want, but God does always answer the prayer. But that's another, kind of along the lines of rejoice in, in everything. Uh, we need to make sure that we're, we're thanking God for the answers to our prayers, whether it be what we want or whether something that we don't want. But he says this is the manner in which we need to make our request known to God, is with that attitude of thanksgiving. You know, it reminds me of a song, and maybe we could have sung it tonight, but uh, these words may be familiar for you. you know, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What's, uh, what's the song number here? Three, uh, 345. Yeah. Yes. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, some good truth in song right there. And reiterating the fact that we need to bring all of our needs to the Lord. And so some might say, well, you know, I, I pray to God about the big things. You know, do we really need to bring the little things to God? Well, I've heard this illustrated that to God, really, even your big things are actually still pretty little. So... You know, whether you think it's big or not, it, that's immaterial to God. Because to God, everything is really a little thing. And God can answer all of those things according to his will. So don't don't worry about any of those things, whether it be big or whether it be small. Uh, bring everything to God in prayer. You know what, you know, what happens to us uh, when we worry about things? Does, does it usually solve the problems that we're trying to solve and worrying about them? And I would say... 
you know, 99.9% of the time, you know, plus 99.9%, probably not. There's absolutely nothing that you can do in a lot of cases for whatever it is that you're worried about. And then whatever remains, you know, it's, it's probably out of your hands anyway. So and that's why we need to make sure that we place it in the hands of God. So what's the result of that? Verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He, on the one hand, at the beginning of verse 6, you have uh, maybe someone who's, who's worried, who's full of care about whatever these things are, and then completely flipped around to the point where now this person has brought their prayers to God, and now they're experiencing the peace of God. This is the, the peace that God gives. He is the source of this peace. And this is a peace is, that is described as passing all understanding. I could stand here and try to describe it to you, but if I could describe it to you, then it would be peace that passes understanding, because then you would understand it. So, you know, there are those moments that we have where we just really can't explain what God has done and how we have a, a peace, maybe, about a certain situation or uh, a piece about uh, something that we've asked of the Lord and it's you know, a situation we might be going through that is so tumultuous and so, uh, it is so thinking of words of you know, storming, it's just, it's just horrible. But yet somehow, God in those situations, and, and you, you, we say to ourselves, I just can't explain this. That, that's the piece that passes understanding. Now, there are different pieces, you know, P-E-A-C-E in the Bible. And you, you may be able to explain some of those. But uh, the peace that comes from this, being able to bring those requests to God that you may be so worried about, God can give you that peace that you just can't explain away. Or you just can't explain at all. And so, uh, furthermore, he says in verse 7, that this peace, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. You know, it'll it'll put your heart at peace. It'll put your mind at peace. It, I'm guilty sometimes of having a very hyperactive brain, especially at bedtime, and just hundreds and millions of things can be racing through my mind, and you know, I just I just can't sleep because these things are going through my mind. But. Uh, God says that when you have this kind of peace, that, that will silence that tempest that's going through your brain. And again, I, I just can't explain that. But something that I haven't pointed out with some of these things yet, notice that it says, through Christ Jesus. This is the peace of God. Uh, like in other verses, verse 4, it was rejoice in the Lord. That actually is a very key component of that, in the Lord. Uh, verse 2 is have the same mind in the Lord. Verse 1, stand fast in the Lord. This all centers around God. We need to make sure that these behaviors that we have are centered around and based on the knowledge and the power of God. So it is the peace of God which shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He will help us to accomplish that. So we've looked at that peace that's... Uh, God can give us. Let's look at the fourth thing tonight. Thinking God-like thoughts. Verse number 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, 
if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So Paul pointing out, this is where you need to have your mind. These are some other things, uh, ways that you can be thinking. So let's uh, look at this list. Uh, Paul likes lists in a lot of his writing, and actually others do as well, myself included. But let's look at this list here. Whatsoever things are true, uh, you know, those, those thoughts that might be racing through your mind that might be troubling you, is this, is this something that is a, a true thing? Is it based on truth? So that's, that's the first part of that test there. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, then we have honest. And the word honest there uh, comes from a word that means to be dignified or worthy of respect or reverence. You know, is, is, uh, uh, is the thing that you're thinking about uh, connected to that in some way to where it's a, it, it's a, it, it's ser- it has a seriousness to it. So the, the word honest there has that kind of a, a feeling behind it. Whatsoever things are just. You know, is it, is it righteous? It, does it uh, speak of doing rights? Is it related in that kind of a way? Uh, is it just? So then we also have pure here. Is, is that thought pure? And, and the word pure there has the idea of an innocence. Uh, is... You know, just, just like those cute little kittens that you see go across your Facebook feed every now and then. Or, or puppies, maybe, for some people. Or uh, you know, children doing uh, very adorable things. Just innocent. Uh, you know, nothing, you know, nothing uh, evil about it in any kind of way. So pure. These, these are the kinds of thoughts that we need to have. And then he also mentions lovely. Uh, lovely, having the idea of being pleasing or or gracious or uh, beautiful. You know, is is that uh, part of your thought? Is is it lovely? Of good report? Uh, is it something that you can say good about? Uh, and I've been guilty of this too, where I just sometimes get a lot of negative thoughts that go through my mind, and. And I can think about ten ways that something could be bad, but God wants us to focus on the, the ways that things are good. We need to make sure that there's good report behind our thinking so that we can speak good of those things. So good report, commendable. You know, if you're going to give a commendation for somebody, you're, you're going to get up behind the pulpit and then you're going to start saying a lot of good things about them. So things that are of good report. So then he says, if there be any virtue, uh, is it uh, something that is excellent of character? That's behind the word virtue there. Think of someone who is virtuous, uh, someone who exemplifies good qualities. Is there virtue behind those things that you're thinking? And then also last in the list there, praise. Is it, is it something that uh, you would want to open your mouth and praise God about? Is it praiseworthy? Are you able to, to praise God for whatever this thought is? Well, uh, I'll leave that to you and for the Holy Spirit to, to test your mind in any of those areas. So he says, think on these things. If they show any of these qualities, this is the kind of thinking that you need to have. Now, a, a way that maybe we can generalize this. Think about just Jesus Christ himself. 
know, isn't that a good thing to think about? Just think about Jesus. It's very, very general, very basic Sunday school answer, right? Well, think about Jesus in relation to all of the qualities that we mentioned there. Is Jesus Christ true? Is Jesus Christ honest or uh, uh, to be revered? Is Jesus Christ just or pure or lovely? Is Jesus of good report? Is Jesus virtuous? Is Jesus praiseworthy? Amen. So if you want to have a mind that thinks along these lines, maybe just thinking about Jesus will help you to think that way. What are the things that your mind focuses on? And sometimes that's the biggest battle that we face, is the battle that goes on in our minds. We need to make sure that uh, our thinking as Christians is renewed from the way that it was. Uh, uh, Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 He's talking about the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, but now being renewed in the spirit of your mind to have that change of your thinking. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, talking about the, the, the human sacrifice, if you will, as it were, that Paul encourages, that be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You need to have that renewing of your mind. So my encouragement for that is think about Jesus and then let other thoughts come off of that kind of thinking. So the last thing that we're going to look at tonight, the last piece of advice, the last behavior that we can take to ourselves personally (laughs) is to practice what we've learned. And I'm sure that's what Paul's desire would be for all the advice that he's given here. And a good way, I think, to finish what we're looking at tonight. So back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, the command then is simply, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So very, very short imperative there, just to do. But the, the, the things that he wants you to do is what he mentions there at the beginning of the verse. Things which he have both learned. So Paul has taught them something. And so he says, those things that I've taught to you, do those things. So then he says, those things which he have received. So you've been, you've been told these things, and now you have taken them with you as you've gone and that's kind of what we encourage is that whatever we teach here, you, you take that with you uh, out into your your daily walk. So that which you have received, you have taken it to yourself, and now you're taking it with you as you go along. So that which you have received, now put that into practice. You know, we can, we can take the thoughts of what we learn with us, but it doesn't do us any good until we actually put it into practice. Then he says, thirdly there, that which you have received, or sorry, what you have heard. So going more in the realm of the the manner in which we have learned these things. So Paul, uh, when he was with the Philippian church, spoke to them. And so they they heard his voice and he was teaching by his voice. And so they heard him. So those things which they heard, things which Paul said to you, Philippians, those are the things that you need to do. And then lastly there, we see in that list, those things which he has seen in me. You know, the, just like he encouraged back in chapter 3, where he said, Brethren, be followers together of me, 
and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Be followers together of me. Follow my example. What you've seen in me, that's also what you can be doing in your life. So whether it's come out of my mouth or whether it's come out of my actions, and again, I mentioned it back when I talked about this, uh, talking about examples, that Paul had the boldness to be able to say, you can use my life as a, a litmus test. You can use it as a, a pattern by which to follow so that you can live your life. Of course, that was based upon the fact that he also said, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. So it wasn't just a, a human example, but a human example based on a, 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 a heavenly example, which was through Jesus Christ. So he said, all of these ways in which you've learned and received and heard and seen in me do those things now how many how many things have we looked at now i mean first of all even tonight but even over the course of looking at the book of philippians here how many things has god said even just in this letter now i mentioned back at the beginning this is this is a personal letter that paul wrote to them and a very personal in a lot of ways that you know he cared for them he wanted them to, to live for God and uh, be the best that they could be for God. And so his encouragement is, you know, I don't want this all to be in vain, but I want you to do the things that I've said so that uh, when I stand before the throne of God, I can rejoice before him and be thankful for what you've done. So lastly, what, what's the promise that comes off of that? So if you do these things, he says, the God of peace shall be with you. So just as you get the peace of God through uh, giving God your request, you also get the peace of God through knowing that you're doing for him the things that you ought to do. There's, there's just something to be said about that, that peace in your conscience when you know that you're doing right. And God has told you through various people perhaps or through just reading his word that he's told you things to do and you go out and do them. And... Uh, just like I mentioned in our Bible study on Friday night, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and after washing their feet and giving them the example of being servants, he said, happy are ye if ye do these things. And that you get that peace and that joy and that happiness from doing the things that God has asked you to do. So a lot of things that we've looked at tonight, and maybe one of those areas is something that has maybe been impressed upon you. Uh, but I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit and whatever uh, and however God wants to deal with you in those things. And so at this time, I'm just going to close with a word of prayer. And uh, let's ask God to help us as we examine each of these areas in our life.